Who are the elite athletes? They are the men and women who have dedicated themselves to a level of achievement in a sport that most can only dream about. Whether they reach that pinnacle of success in high school, college, or in the pro game, the vast majority of these great athletes come to realize that their time at the top is only a few years. What does life have in store for them for the next 50, 60, or more years? What challenges and barriers do they face along the way? After the Glory is the show that features conversations with elite athletes as they talk about what led them to greatness and how their special skill set has prepared them for life beyond the playing field. Gary Stern and Lucy Sang are passionate admirers of elite athletes and are proud to bring you their stories. And now, the host of After the Glory, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. Welcome again to After the Glory. This is Gary Stern along with my partner, Lucy Singh. And we have a very, very unique guest with us today. And uh, let me start this way. The Bronx Zoo, it is and was not merely a place where you could see exotic animals. It was also the description of the New York Yankees in the late 1970s and especially 1977 when they beat my Dodgers in the World Series with a team of controversy, firings, fights, and acrimony. It was also the title of a book by a gentleman, a very, very well-known sportscaster named Peter Golenbuch, who later in 2011 wrote the foreword to another book about our guest, Miss Jenny Paul. You see, as Mr. Golenbuch says, and I quote, it turns out that there was a hidden player involved with all the principal figures on the Yankees, a woman who was privy to the private boxed world of George Steinbrenner, general manager and president Gabe Paul, and the star players such as Reggie Jackson and Thurman Munson. Behind the curtain, he was also engaged in a somewhat controversial, nowadays anyway, affair with the Yankee manager, Billy Martin. She worked as a sports reporter, but the reason she had such a complete access was she was the daughter of the legendary baseball executive, Gabe Paul. The 2011 book is The Yankee Princess. It is a wonderful read about the inside of baseball and particularly during a very controversial and tough time in the world of sports and particularly the uh, goings on of the New York Yankees of 1977. Jenny Paul is, as she describes in the book, a self-made individual, a sports journalist who was actually the first uh, sports person with the Washington Post in the early 70s and went on to do uh, incredible work all across the country and around the world as a featured sports journalist. We are honored and privileged to have Jenny Paul Gardner with us today. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm really, it's a pleasure to be here representing all the women in sports. Lucy, take it away. See, Gary was going to continue, but as soon as Jenny said that, he knew I had to jump in. Jenny, I'm <laughs> going to I'm going to just jump right in and I'm blessed to have had conversations with you prior to our recording episode today. You know, one of the things that has stood out about your story is the highlight of 
the sports experience, not just being between a father and a son, but father and their daughters. So what can you tell us more of your perspective on that, particularly growing up with a very famous father in the professional sports world, but also being the only daughter of this man? Well, that is a very complicated story because I had four brothers and I had obviously a father who was in sports his whole life. And with that comes uh, a lot of complications. Basically, I had a mother who was a Southern Belle. She was Miss Florida and they got married very young. Well, my mother was very young. She was 17. So my mother was Miss Florida. She was born in Savannah, Georgia. And my grandmother told her when my father met her in spring training in Tampa, when he was with the Cincinnati Reds, hitch your wagon to a star. She was 17, he was 29. So off she goes and they get married and he was traveling secretary with the Cincinnati Reds. She has five kids, one girl, four boys. I come along and the four boys, they go on their life of how boys think different than, than girls. So I come along and I'm the rebel in the family and I wanna be a sportscaster and I wanna follow in my father's footsteps. Now I, I talk about father-daughter relationships in the book, but I also talk about how girls are different than boys. And I also talk about how my father reacted to the fact that I chose a life of sportscasting. Mm. and how it wasn't really fashionable in the 70s and how I fought with him because I ended up in New York covering the New York Yankees. And if you can imagine how that caused a lot of trouble. But let's back up and let's go with how I was daddy's little girl and how I was supposed to be all the things that daddy's little girl was supposed to be. I was supposed to get married and have kids and follow along in the footsteps of what a girl should be. Mm. But I wasn't going to be what a little girl should be. I was going to be independent. I was going to make my own money. I was going to be everything that I wanted to be, but was not allowed to be because of the times. And very similar to a lot of other women, Susan B. Anthony, and all the other women who came before me who fought a battle and were pioneers, I had a big battle ahead of me because I also had four brothers. Mm. They were allowed to go to college. They were allowed to be in their fields, but I really wasn't because remember, I was supposed to get married and have kids and not really develop my personality. Then we come to the fact that my father couldn't show his emotion. So when little girls are, are born and they're supposed to get married, you have a father who's not showing any emotion. I don't know, who do you pick for a husband? You pick a father who doesn't show any emotion. You pick a husband who is like your father. And thus the syndrome continues and continues and continues. And how do you break that syndrome? Well, when we come back on After the Glory, we're going to learn how that syndrome was broken. This is Gary Stern, along with Lucy Singh, and our special guest, Jenny Paul Gardner, when we come back. Role models, 
They can make all the difference. In our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. And no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern with my partner, Lucy Sang, and our very special guest, Jenny Paul Gardner. Jenny, your earlier uh, response raised some really important questions for me. In the relationship with a father who began his connection to baseball, believe it or not, in 1928 and eventually became uh, a, a really impactful Cincinnati Red General Manager, executive of the year in the mid-50s, um, responsible for some of the most incredible trades in baseball history. And of course, he then goes to the most impactful baseball team of all time, the New York Yankees in the 1970s. And you're coming of age in, in every way, shape, and form at that time. And you become uh, uh, familiar with, friendly with many of the players. And I'm curious if you saw or had observations about how they related to their spouses or children, especially with the veterans who may have had children uh, who were girls. Did you see those sorts of things and, and, and see sort of a reflection of your own life through them? Well, it was interesting because when they opened up the Yankee clubhouse to women, it was during those years. Now, my reaction from my father will shock you because he said, Jenny, if you go into the Yankee clubhouse, I'm going to divorce your mother. Oh, my goodness. And I said, okay, well, I'm a, a reporter. And I was on Channel 5 in New York. I was in multiple venues and I said, well, okay. I said, you have a great relationship with mom. Now, if you want to divorce mom based on the fact that I go in the Yankee clubhouse for equal opportunity for women, you go ahead and divorce mom. But I don't think that's what this is about. I think it's about trying to control me. And I would think you would be happy for equal opportunity for women at this point. I don't want to go in the clubhouse. I don't want to see naked men. I have four brothers. I, I, I really don't want to see naked men. Matter of fact, I don't think reporters should go in the locker room. I think you should have a reporter's room like they do in tennis. But if you're going to put those restrictions on me, you are stopping me from advancing in my career. If you want to stop me from advancing in my career, you're hurting me. Why do you want to hurt me? And he didn't understand me as a woman. He didn't understand that I wanted to be a career woman. He still was caught in this control issue. I want to control my daughter. You know, when we get older, we as children want to control our parents. It's funny how that turns full circle, but 
He wanted to control me and I was not able to be controlled. I kept fighting, but that took a real toll on me. It took a toll on me with depression. It took a toll on me with a lot of emotional abuse as I, as I saw it. And plus the fact, remember I told you, he couldn't say he loved me. He didn't love me at that point. He didn't like me. He loved me always. A parent always loves their children, I think. But he didn't like me. And that hurt me terribly. But when he said he was going to divorce my mother, I couldn't understand his reasoning. And there were all these other women going in the locker room, but I never really wanted to ever go in a locker room. But I was faced with this, this um, battle of what do I do? He's my dad. Do I want to obey him? Or do I want to continue this fight and this struggle and this internal struggle that I had my whole life of him trying to control me? And I, I was a wild child. I mean, I, I really was a wild child. So Gary, there's so many issues here with me in particular. Now, did I see it with other uh, players? They were so scared of me and they were so scared of raising their daughters because they saw me as a pioneer. They didn't know how to raise their daughters when they saw me. So they thought, uh, Greg Nettles was a, was a good example. He wouldn't even talk to me. Uh, there were plenty of players who veered away from this and thought, oh my gosh, what am I gonna do with my daughter? And because it was in the 70s, they honestly did not know what to do with their daughters based on the fact that I was one of the first. And, and it really is a remarkable thing to think now, uh, Lucy, especially when you think about all the accomplished women in, in the world mm -hmm. of sports, uh, both on the field and off the field. For our audience, Jenny was the first woman in the Washington Post Sports Department. In the early 70s, she was with the Dayton D Daily News as a sports columnist. She then went on to the broadcast world with WCPO in Cincinnati and WLW. In New York, she worked with CBS and NBC. She worked with Brian Gumbel. In the late 1970s, she was a sportscaster and sports writer in Boston. She eventually became a prominent freelance writer covering the Wimbledon Tennis Championships, the Maccabee Games. Uh, she's had a remarkable, remarkable life. And ironically, and Jenny, I'd be curious about this, after 9-11, according to something I saw, you changed completely in terms of your career and became a personal chef on corporate jets. <laughs> Tell us about that. Well, you know, it became very difficult in the uh, sports world to make a lot of money. You know, when podcasting came in and the internet came in and everybody was doing a radio show, it was very easy for me to go into, and we owned eight restaurants when I was married. It was very easy for me to go into the private jet world and become a chef. In the, and I had a lot of experience as a chef and I went to La Varenne in Paris and it was very, very easy for me to go into, and I had worked for TWA. I retired with TWA. Oh my goodness. Well, so I'm a, I'm a retired airline person. Yeah. And Let's... so I did go into the private jet world. 
Well, when we come back on After the Glory, we'll talk to Jenny about the additional challenges and barriers of the world of sports. When we come back on After the Glory, this is Lucy Sang with Gary Stern and our special guest, Jenny Gardner. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N, or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Lucy Sang with my co-host, Gary Stern, and our special guest, Jenny Paul Gardner. Jenny, this season, season four on After the Glory, we are going over the themes of challenges and barriers for athletes. And of course, you've already shared many of which you have experienced in the world of sports. But I also want to ask you, especially about a conversation that you and I had prior to today, you know, you shared one of the greatest parts of being a mother to your children is advocating for them. Can you tell our audience a little more about the experience that your son went through and and your letter to the headmaster? Yes, uh, <laughs> I was always an advocate for my children, so much so that I uh, they probably were embarrassed by me. Um, Lucy, what, the go ahead and recall the letter. Well, I. I know the most impactful thing to me was just the fact that you even wrote a letter because I know that this experience happens to young athletes all the time, right? An athlete gets uh, loses their spot on a team or even loses time on the team. And, and there's no uh, follow-up from coaches, from staff, nothing at all from the, the school. And it, it's such a difficult transition for these athletes that, you know, most people don't realize how hard it is to go through that and for a mother to step up and reach out to the you know, to the school to say something about it i know that was something that stood out most to me my son was a goalie and uh he got cut from the team and they brought in 15 goalies that year in an amateur situation first of all recruiting is illegal on the amateur level so he was also on the headmaster's list. He had been there a year and he was also coach's choice and uh, he had won all the awards and his academic life was fabulous. He was um, a straight A student and they told me he was the smartest child in the whole school. Now they can tell you whatever they want to tell you. So they brought in 15 goalies during exam time were the tryouts and they cut him and he wanted to leave the school. So I wrote a letter to the headmaster and I said to him, it it had nothing to do with his ability. It had to do with the selection process during the exam time. And I said, 
that they had damaged him basically on the fact that if they had to pick two goalies with equal ability, that they should pick the goalie that had been there before, who had been on the headmaster's list, who had proven abilities based on the fact that, you know, academics, and I knew the goalie they brought in was going to leave the school. He only came there for hockey. So I wrote this letter that they would not cut a person in English for not knowing semantics. They would not cut a person in art for not knowing a Monet from a Monet. And I went through this whole thing and he eventually did leave the school. He also went back and graduated from the school with high honors and everything and ended up getting a scholarship uh, to Rochester Institute of Technology. And they did also say uh, when he graduated, he was the smartest kid in the whole school. He never played hockey again uh, in the school when he came back. So um, being an advocate for amateur sports, I said, what are you doing raising quality people or amateur athletes um, and trying to win at all costs? And the win at all costs um, was a big issue because what are you doing with our children? And they had no psychologist to counsel them when they were cut from a team during the exam time. So I really went off on that. I really went off on what do parents do to help their children when they're cut from a sports team. And when they bring in these masses of players what do you do with your children when they're away from you? You don't have any control. You're not in the same town. You're away from them. What do you do with these kids? You know, Jenny, the, 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 this raises a, an interesting issue that I'd like to just touch on briefly before we uh, go to break. And, and that is very simply amateur sports, high school and college. There is this tendency uh, that the public thinks about uh, you know, the, the athlete who is dreaming of a pro career. We know that so few, so very few ever make it to a pro career. Right. I, I would imagine that your letter sort of solidified for you the notion that the schools, the high schools and the colleges have to do a better job of making sure that athletes, no matter how good they are, are prepared for life after their sport is over. Exactly, and that was one of my points that, you know, I have a brother who started the Tampa Bay Lightning. I have a father who was in professional baseball, and I know the percentages of the athletes who never make it, and they shouldn't have their dreams of making these professional sports. Their academics are the most important, and that's why they go to these boarding schools, not to make professional sports teams. And the, and the percentages of the players who do not make professional sports out of boarding schools is incredible and they shouldn't be uh, they shouldn't think that they're going to make professional sports teams out of these um, prep schools and they recruit like they're going to make a professional sports team and that is absolutely wrong winning at all costs is wrong and I wrote this letter and it was a, it was an amazing letter and I wanted a response from every teacher. I sent it to every teacher there and I did not get one response from any teacher. When Matthew left, he had to have every teacher accept him back. He was hurt. 
He was depressed. Oh, he was depressed. Now I want to tell you that my son now is very, very wealthy. He's 33 years old. He's in a million seven house. He's driving a Tesla. He's in, (laughs) he's already sold one startup and he's probably one of the most successful graduates of that school. It's incredible. He's self-made. There you go. Yes. And Jenny, I I just want to reference really quickly one of our previous uh, guests on After the Glory. What you're sharing right now reminds me of Valerie Kondo's field and her famous quote about winning doesn't always mean success. No. No. And and I'll tell you something that leads, I think, to our uh, next and final segment of the show. When we come back to that uh, 1977 team and those athletes who didn't have everything that people thought they have. Oh. When we come back on After the Glory with Jenny Paul Gardner, this is Gary Stern and Lucy Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching, R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Gary Stern. My co-host is Lucy Singh, and our special guest is Jenny Paul Gardner. Uh, Jenny, your passion for the lives of young athletes is is not only admirable, but it's important. Obviously, you were influenced strongly by the experience of knowing so many of the players through your father, Gabe Paul, the president and uh, uh, co-owner of the uh, of New York Yankees in the late 70s, and particularly that 1977 team, won the World Series, but was called the Bronx Zoo for a reason. It must mean that your observations of players professional ball players making good money not as much as later players would make making good money but their happiness their their conflicts sounded like they were overwhelming is that how you saw it at the time the stress level in 1977 was overwhelming i mean in those years i think dad quit five times and the stress level of the players fighting and quite frankly, George going into the clubhouse and causing controversy and stirring up the players, Billy's alcoholism caused a lot of players, uh, one player being told he was gonna make more money than the other player. There were so many things going on. The, 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 The things that were going on in the city people being told that they were going to get endorsements that they didn't get. It was all too much. The city was, of course, on fire. And of course, the Bronx is burning. That's, you know, it was true. The Bronx was burning, but it was burning in more ways than one. I would say that one of the main things was George going into the clubhouse and causing controversy and Billy being an alcoholic. And, and, and I would think that many ball players in later years tried to learn from that example. Um, 
I think of today, this season with the LA Dodgers, and you know, there's one lasting image, and people are going to be surprised when I say this. The lasting image of this year is Albert Pujols giving full bear hugs to players when they come into the dugout after home runs, and the players enjoying those bear hugs and never forgetting those bear hugs. Mm. If that is the lasting legacy of a professional baseball team in the year 2021, we've made progress. Lucy, take it away. Well, Jenny, as you share your story with us and our listeners, you you clearly are very transparent about how much you struggled being the fighter that you had to be in order to achieve all that you have achieved. What would you tell the young girls, the young women who are looking to excel and succeed in the sports world with resistance? What do you have for them? What kind of advice? I would say basically you don't have to be a Miss America. And then if you have a passion, follow your passion, live your dreams. And that if somebody says no to you, don't believe them. Go with your passion and don't take no for an answer. Because if a man is telling you no, if you want to do it, do it. Because if you can do it, believe in yourself. And that is a just an, a gut reaction because I never listened to anybody. If I wanted to do it, I could do it and I found a way to do it. Isn't that a life lesson? If you want to do it, you will find a way. It is an incredible lesson. We have been joined today in this episode, this show that we call After the Glory by the great Jenny Paul, the author, along with the uh, Jody Lynn Smith of the book, The Yankee Princess, Why Dad and I Were in a League of Our Own. It is available at theyankeeprincess.com or on Amazon. Get it. It is a wonderful read. Um, It's been out for a few years. It's time to sell a few more of those books. Uh, Jenny, thank you very much for taking the time to be with us today on the show. Thank you, Jenny. My pleasure, and let's make it a movie. There you go. Take care. Thank you. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team, our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from PodClips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are. Living large and riding high. Razzling and dazzling across the sky. Back in the day, so young and strong. Work or play, you can do no wrong. But when that ride is through. your story, what you gonna do after the glory, step back and take him.